Hey y'all, welcome back as we continue through the book of Isaiah with chapter 15 and we are still walking through the oracles. Isaiah is tasked with the very hard call of bringing forth a message, a warning of judgment coming. And he carries this through. He's obedient. He's submissive. The transformation in Isaiah 6 transferred him completely wholeheartedly. He is 100% sold out. He's a radical sold out for Christ and to do his work. In chapter 15, verse 1, we have an oracle against Moab. And Moab and Ammon, they were the two sons that Lot's daughters had when he was drunk and was with his daughters and didn't know. And they, they had two sons, Moab and Ammon. And they lived near Israel, their cousin, and they never chose God. Regardless of that near relation and seeing the lives and the fruitfulness that God brings forth in their lives, they never chose God. They rejected God. So they have this oracle coming forth against Moab in chapter 15, starting with verse 1. This message came to me concerning Moab. In one night, the town of Ar will be leveled and the city of Ker will be destroyed. Your people will go to their temple in Divan to mourn. They will go to their sacred shrines to weep. They will wail for the fate of Nebo and Medidba, shaving their heads in sorrow and cutting off their beards. They will wear burlap as they wander the streets. From every home and public square will come the sound of wailing. The people of Heshbon and Eliah will cry out. Their voices will be heard as far away as Jahaz. The bravest warriors of Moab will cry out in utter ter terror. They will be helpless with fear. My heart weeps for Moab. Its people flee to Zoar and Eglah-Shalashia. Weeping, they climb the road to Luthith. Their cries of distress can be heard all along the road of Haranaim. Even the waters of Nimrim are dried up. The grassy banks are scorched. The tender plants are gone. Nothing green remains. The people grab their possessions and carry them across the ravine of willows. A cry of distress echoes through the land of Moab, from one end to the other. From Eglam to Beerlim, the stream near Dibon runs red with blood. But I am still not finished with Dibon. Lions will hunt down the survivors, both those who try to escape and those who remain behind. Send lambs from Selah as tribute to the ruler of the land. Send them through the desert to the mountain of beautiful Zion. The women of Moab are left like homeless birds. At the shallow crossing of the Arnon River, help us, they cry. Defend us against our enemies. Protect us from the relentless attack. Do not betray us now that we have escaped. Let our refugees stay among you. Hide them from our enemies until the terror is past. When the oppression and destruction have ended and enemy raiders have disappeared, then God will establish one of David's descendants as king. He will rule with mercy and truth. He will always do what is just and be eager to do what is right. We have heard about proud Moab, about his pride and arrogance and rage, but all that boasting has disappeared. The entire land of Moab weeps. Yes, everyone in Moab mourns. For the cakes of raisins from Kir Heresh, they are all gone now. The farms of Heshbon are abandoned. The vineyards of Shibna are deserted. The rulers of the nations have broken down Moab, that beautiful grapevine. Its tendrils spread north as far as the town of Jezer and trailed eastward into the wilderness. Its shoots reached so far west that they crossed over to the Dead Sea. So now I weep for Jazar and the vineyards of Sibma. My tears will flow for Heshbon and Elia. 
There are no more shouts of joy over your summer fruits and harvest. Gone now is the gladness, gone the joy of the harvest. There will be no singing in the vineyards, no more happy shouts, no treading of grapes in the wine press. I have ended all their harvest joys. My heart's cry for Moab is like a lament on a harp. I am filled with anguish for Kir Haras. The people of Moab will worship at their pagan shrines, but it will do them no good. They will cry to the gods in their temples, but no one will be able to save them. The Lord has already said these things about Moab in the past. But now the Lord says, Within three years, counting each day, the glory of Moab will be ended. From its great population, only a feeble few will be left. And I'm going to stop there. We did, that was chapters 15 and 16. And the the oracle against Moab is, it's, it's a judgment that is coming. They worship their pagan shrines. They worship false gods. They refuse to repent and turn to God. And their prosperity is going to be ripped from them. And it says within three years, counting each day, three years is the prime year of the sacrificial animals that they use. So when it's in their prime, it's all going to be pulled away. Um, and it, it's it's devastating. And it breaks Isaiah's heart. He talks about how he's he's in anguish. And he he mourns over this loss that's coming to Moab. And that's what we should do. When anyone is facing judgment or in the midst of trials or tribulations, we need to mourn. We need to have empathy. We need to be compassionate. We need to point them to Jesus because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Messiah. And that hope, again, is pointed to in these verses as well. When God will establish one of David's descendants as king and he will rule with mercy and truth, we have, even in the midst of this very hard oracle, this very hard judgment that's going to come forth, we still have that glimmer of hope found only in the Messiah, only in Jesus, only in our Savior, our perfect Savior. And He will do what is just and will be eager to do what is right. And He will pour out His grace and mercy for those who choose Him and repent of their sins and turn to God. And it continues in chapter 17. We have an oracle about Damascus and Israel. And Israel, Isaiah means, just to keep in the back of your mind here, Isaiah means the Lord is salvation. And again, through these oracles, he gives those glimmers of a hope and points to Jesus and points to salvation and points to the hope that is found in Jesus. And he does that in, in again and again throughout these very hard judgment warning messages that he brought forth for God. And the word, the word is released and by God to Isaiah, and he has to carry it out. That's his call and mission, and he has to carry out the word and bring forth this word. And these these oracles are burdens on the nations, and it's it's an event that is certainly going to happen unless they change and repent and turn to God. In verse 1 of chapter 17, this message came to me concerning Damascus. Look, the city of Damascus will disappear. It will become a heap of ruins. The towns of Aror will be deserted. Flocks will graze in the streets and lie down undisturbed, with no one to chase them away. The fortified towns of Israel will also be destroyed, and the royal power of Damascus will end. All that remains of Syria will share the fate of Israel's departed glory, declares the Lord of Heaven's armies. In that day, Israel's glory will grow dim, and the robust body will waste away. 
The whole land will look like a grain field. After the harvesters have gathered the grain, it will be desolate, like the fields in the valley of Rephaim after the harvest. Only a few of its people will be left, like stray olives left on a tree after the harvest. Only two or three remain in the highest branches, four or five scattered here and there on the limbs, declares the Lord, the God of Israel. Then at last the people will look to their Creator and turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. They will no longer look to their idols for help or worship what their own hands have made. They will never again bow down to their Asherah poles or worship the pagan shrines they have built. Their largest cities will be like a deserted forest, like a land the Hivites and Amorites abandoned. When the Israelites came here so long ago, it will be utterly desolate. Why? Because you have turned from the God who can save you. You have forgotten the rock who can hide you. So you may plant the finest grapevines and import the most expensive seedlings. They may sprout on the day you set them out. Yes, they may blossom on the very morning you plant them, but you will never pick any grapes from them. Your only harvest will be a load of grief and unrelieved pain. Listen, the armies of many nations roar like the roaring of the sea. Hear the thunder of the mighty forces as they rush forward like thundering waves. But though they thunder like breakers on a beach, God will silence them and they will run away. They will flee like chaff scattered by the wind, like a tumbleweed whirling before a storm. In the evening, Israel waits in terror, but by dawn its enemies are dead. This is just... This is the just reward of those who plunder us, a fitting end to those who destroy us. So a couple of things to note here. This is against Israel. This is against, this warning is against the, the nations that are against and torturing Judah. And the northern Israelites were, he's speaking to the southern people right now. So the northern Israelite territories were they were fighting with with Judah, with the southern territories regularly. So this is a judgment that's going to come forth. And he says, like, everything is going to be desolate. It's going to be empty. And Damascus also carries into Syria and Israel, and they fade away from everything. Everything is just taken, and there's not going to be much left. There's not going to be much remaining. But even on the day of judgment, if we stand firm in faith, when Jesus returns again, the people that are left, if they stand firm in faith, and we, there's a remnant. There's a rem- remnant that comes forth. And right now we're in a very trying time on earth, but Jesus is returning and he's coming for the remnant. It says, then at last the people will look to their creator and turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. And those who do that are the remnant. We can stand in faith and be the remnant. There won't be much. It says only two or three will remain on the highest branches, four or five scattered here and there. They hit rock bottom. And he says, look up. Your creator is here. Your creator is with you. Look up to God. Stand firm in faith. And we can we can, we can choose to follow and stand firm in faith, faith now. We don't have to wait until we receive an oracle or a judgment from someone telling us, like, hey, we can wake up every day and look to God in every single thing that we do. We can choose God. We can choose his path. We can choose to stand firm in faith and be a part of that remnant and say, yes, I want to be that remnant. I want to be included in the remnant. And he, these oracles, they, these judgments, they, they show the consequence for the path that they chose. They chose to reject God. They chose to reject God's power and blessings and the amazing overabundance of plans that God had for their lives. And this judgment is going to come. And it also affects the northern tribes of Israel that are outside of Judah and Jerusalem. And 
all is chaos and everything is chaotic, but there will be a remnant that lasts and and there will be a people that stands together and stands firm. And even today in this time, Jesus is coming again. He is returning and we can choose to stand firm in that faith and look to God every single morning, every single hour of our day. We can look to God and we can choose him over the idols of this world, over the craziness and the chaos of this world. God isn't in control. He is in control, but Satan is free on this earth right now. God is in control, but God is coming and will there will be an end. There will be a final battle, a final war, and we have the spoiler alert. God wins, and we can choose to be on that winning side every single day that we wake up, every single day that we go to sleep. We can choose God in every one of our moments. He desperately wants relationships with us. He wants our hearts and he wants to know our hearts and he evaluates our hearts and he draws us closer and closer to him like the hugest magnet we've ever crossed in our entire lives. So that concludes chapter 15 through 17 and we'll continue through these oracles tomorrow, y'all. I know they are not easy and not the funnest, but this is true. This happened and this is God's word and God is fair and God is just. And because of his fairness and justness, judgment does come against sin because if he weren't fair and just and holy, if he weren't pure and perfect, he, he, he would be able to allow sin, but he is pure and perfect and just and holy. So he cannot allow sin. And therefore he cried out and said, no, let it be me when he saw his children suffering potentially for the sins they're choosing. And he had the power to do something about it. So he did. He came as in sent Jesus, his son, and he came to earth and died on a cross that he created so that he could take the place of us in that judgment. He could take our place. And it reminds me of how many times we cry out when one of our loved ones is suffering and we say, let it be me. Let me take the suffering for them. Well, God did that. And he said, let it be me. And you know what? He did because God is God and he's all powerful. He is sovereign. So he did. He chose to let it be him because he could not bear to lose a single one of his children. We simply have to choose him and choose life for all eternity. We'll continue on with chapter 18 tomorrow. Thanks, y'all. Have a great day.